No music. No music. No music. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to keep the Keep Shooting Podcast episode two or dose, whatever, whatever have you. Uh, the first one, man, I was excited. I was excited about the first one. I'm excited to do the second one. Uh, figure before I jump into it, I'll give a little backstory concerning that, that intro, the no music intro. And uh, for that, I need, to, I need to set the scene, man. I think it was, it was 2000, I think it was probably 2006. And uh, I was at college, man. When, when I was in college, my first really two years, I didn't go out a whole lot. Um, I, I read a lot of books. I gotta be honest with you, man. Read a lot of books, but um, I didn't go out a whole lot. And then the the first time I ever went out, I mean, I remember I, I went out and I was wearing this awful and Nietzsche uh, jacket, man. This thing was terrible. I, I it was black. It was black with like white stripes. I looked like a referee, but like it was, but it was huge because it was two thousand six. So um, anyway, we go out and I go out with my teammates. Um, and uh, I, I remember the first place we went to, uh, they didn't even let me in. They thought I was the police or something like that. So they didn't let me in. So the second place we go, and we go to this lounge, and you got to understand, man, I'm, I'm coming from um, suburban central Pennsylvania, and uh, we go to this lounge, and it's just, you know, the music and uh, the, the atmosphere is something I had never been exposed to yet. So I'm like 18, 19, and it's, it's brand new to me. I was having a great time. Man. I, was with, I was with my teammates, and we were having a good time. And uh, all of a sudden, the music just stopped. It was like, if you've ever seen that Chappelle episode, uh, there's, a, there's a Chappelle episode, and the, the, the guy's listening to the Tupac in the club, and whatever, he's like, stop hitting the table, and the, re- the, the musical skit. It's like somebody hit a table, and the music just stopped. Anyway, that's irrelevant. But the music stopped. And uh, one of my good friends I was with, man, this one of my best friends to this day, Maurice Martin. Uh, if, you, if you ever met Mo, Mo will tell you he's from Baltimore within 14 seconds of meeting him. And then it'll remind you every other 14 seconds. So it's, it's kind of strange. But um, so we're in there and the music stops and, uh, and he just starts doing that, man. He's just, no music, clap, 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 no mute. And I'm like, I, I'm looking around like I've never seen, I don't know what's going on here. And then everybody started doing it. And then the whole, the whole club started doing it. And uh, I was, in my mind, I'm like, hey, this, you know, this doesn't happen in Caucasian households. Not something I'm used to. Uh, but hey, I love it. And it's stuck with me forever to, to this day. So uh, I, I text Mo. I was like, hey, man, I need you to uh, record audio of you doing the no music thing. I want to throw that at the beginning of the podcast. And uh, he said, bet, I'm from Baltimore. And I said, of course. Of course, he didn't say that, but... Um, Whatever. But yeah, that's that's the story behind the no music intro. So that's what we're going to roll with. Plus, I don't want to pay uh, anybody. That's a, that's that's really the big thing. I don't want to have to pay anybody along the line uh, when I'm doing this because that's it's uh, not what I'm about. So, yeah, man. Episode two. Uh, I'm sitting here in my basement, man. We're trying to set this up to to be kind of like my little mini studio. So in the basement, I've been it's where I've been doing all my shop breakdowns and uh, I, I filmed some content and stuff down here. But now we're starting to fill it up. So I got a signed LeBron jersey down here. Uh, and then my mom and dad and brother visited me this weekend for my birthday, and they brought a bunch of old basketball uh, paraphernalia from from high school, really. So I'm I'm living in the past, and that's okay. That's okay. I actually, my wife was like, "We got to hang it up," and I I didn't want to. I said, "I don't. I feel like I'm living in the past." And she she said, "It's it's okay." So I got a bunch of stuff around me now, just uh, reminding me of what I was. So how about that? I was about a hundred. 
185, 180 pounds at the time. And I'm a strong 220 now. I mean, <laughs> strong, real, real strong. So if anything, it's a reminder of where, where I came from. But uh, it was a bucket. I'll tell you that much. Was a bucket. So don't get it twisted about that. Um, yeah, so one of the things I wanted to address today, uh, I, I want to start off shooting-wise. Uh, because I think that's probably why the majority of people are here. And obviously, if we segue into some other things, we do. We do. But I think one of the most common questions, not I think, I know, one of the most common questions I get, and it's something that everybody wants to know, is adding range or being able to shoot from further away. And it's it's a good question. I mean, if you look at where the game is trending towards, everybody's shooting threes. Uh, people that are pro- People are probably shooting threes that shouldn't be shooting threes. But that's where our game's going, and I, I personally love it. I was in—I remember being in, in high school or uh, in college talking to friends, being like, hey, man, get rid of the center. I'm done. Like, I'm, I don't even need—we don't even need the center. I just think basketball is more actually a more beautiful game when it's just five guys moving, rotating, like all that kind of stuff. But um, regardless, uh, you have to be able to shoot now. And uh, the, the three ball is becoming increasingly uh, more prevalent in today's game and, and something that we need to be able to do. So the question always comes, hey, how can I build range? How can you build range? My first answer would be, if you're not a good shooter from 10 to 15 feet, you're not going to be a shooter 20 feet extended. That's just not the way it goes. Um, I, I really do think that you need to build a very solid foundation early on. And if you're able to do that, then gradually you're going to be able to work your way back. Now, I say this probably primarily with younger players in mind because younger players, you know, they, they, they kind of want to rush the processing and, and get behind the three-point line. I credit a lot of my ability to be able to shoot from distance, uh, to shoot from three. I can shoot further than I have ever been able to shoot now, but that's through an understanding of what I'm doing along with uh, taking care of my body better. But um, I, I credit a big part of me being able to shoot threes and from distance to not taking three-pointers in games until I got to high school. So early on, I didn't start playing basketball until I was in fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade. And even when I started playing, I, at least when I picked up the ball, I was pretty, I was, I was almost physically mature enough to shoot the ball the correct way. Uh, I, I know that I, I definitely always got my, got my release point to where it needed to be. But I wouldn't leave the baseline. I w- it was like 10 feet extended. That's the only place I would ever shoot for the longest time. Uh, but I, d- I really do credit to, to me being able to eventually step out and shoot threes consistently to really building that solid foundation inside of the three-point line before I ever got back to the three-point line. So I never had a chance to develop bad habits. I never had a chance to completely change my shot uh, from you know, being a, uh, being a traditional, a more of a traditional uh, set point to, to a lower one when I extend behind three. And I think that if you watch a lot of kids now, they'll, they'll shoot us one way inside the, inside the arc and then another way outside of it. And some people will chalk that up to that. Hey, that's just the way it is. I don't think it has to be that way. I had a conversation with a, with a friend of mine uh, recently, and we were talking about that and how he said how, how rare that actually is that people shoot their same exact shot from, you know, 10, 10 to 12 feet to if I was to extend out to even 24 feet or something like that. So uh, I think I really do credit a lot of that to building the foundation early on. So that, that'd always be my, my first piece of advice. If you want to build range, become a better shooter from close first. You have to be able to see the ball go in the hoop. You have to know what you're doing and then gradually start to work your way back. 
you know, you getting stronger, physically maturing is definitely going to help. So that's, that's number one. Number two is really understanding what it is you're doing when you're shooting the basketball. So I think the further away you get, the better understanding you have of what you're at, your body's actually trying to do is what's going to serve you better in the long run. So what I mean by that is I think there's a lot of, if, if, you, were to, uh, if you were to Google or go on YouTube and, and say, hey, how do I build range? You're going to see a lot of people saying, hey, here's the secret. Here's, uh, here's what no one wants you to know, which is a weird thing because you're, you're going to tell us, right? Like, whatever. It's, hey, guys, it's called clickbait. That's what that's called. But the, the, the thing is, it's not a matter of a, a sweep and sway or, you know, a dip. It, it's really, that's not really what's going to help you build consistent range. What's going to help you gain consistent range is understanding what you're doing when you're shooting and being able to repeat it time and time again. So what we're really after is being able to drive our ball through the shot line as fast as possible in one direction before ball before body and then let our legs attach as our energy is moving us up, right? And then shooting the ball on the way up. So that seems like a mouthful and I'll try my best to explain it, but the amount of energy that you're actually able to generate from your upper body, upper body is, is crazy. But we oftentimes always think it's the legs that are really driving the shot. But if you think about it, if we're able to independently move the ball from our body, so I do a bunch of drills and, uh, and different, and, and, and different um, methods that is all about getting a player to detach from that relationship of the ball and the body having to move at the same time. So I'll just have a player stand there, hips dropped, uh, chest up, chin up, and then literally just work on rotating the shoulders and moving the ball up from what we call the one position to the two position. And I'll have Rob Fodor on here uh, soon. We were going to do it tonight, but hey, man, he's an NBA guy. He's busy. He's busy. But he, uh, I'd love for him to get into you know how he came up with the, the one, two, through and everything like that. But uh, basically, it's, it's, it's from where the ball starts to our set point. So that'd be the one to the two. And I'll have players just isolate that movement without moving anything else on their body. Because ultimately, when we're shooting, the ball has to move first and it has to move fast. Because if you think about the distance the ball has to travel when it starts, ball starts around the abdomen area and ends up, you know, best case scenario, uh, slightly above your eyebrow. I mean, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good distance, right? It's a couple feet. As compared to how far your hips move, uh, it, your hips can move, you know, a couple inches. So what we have to account for is that ball has to get up there quick because if your hips and the ball were to move at the same exact speed, you would never be able to get shots off, right? If you, were, if you think about that and try to visualize that in your head because the ball would never reach its set point. It would just, it would never happen. So the ball has to move faster. So what do I mean by attaching the energy, uh, attaching your legs after you create that energy with your upper body? So I think a good way to kind of think about it is if, you, uh, if you've ever seen cheerleaders, this is, gonna, this, this is, gonna take a, this is kind of taking a turn, but if you've ever seen cheerleaders that uh, when, the, when the male cheerleaders will toss the female cheerleaders into the air and they'll, they'll do flips and all that kind of stuff, you've got to think of the two different forces that are working there. So in one regard, you have the girl that's about to go, you know, get tossed up in the air. She's pushing. She's pushing off of that 
off of the other cheerleader's hand while that cheerleader is also pushing up. So you have two forces of momentum working together to create a whole bunch of power, right? There's no way that just her jumping off his hand would ever, would ever allow her to get the, uh, the amount of air and power necessary to do all the, the moves that they do. But in combination with her jumping and then him attaching the power coming up through his, through his arms and through his body, she's able to get the, the, the power needed to do the flips and all that kind of stuff. It's a very similar concept to what we're trying to achieve shooting the basketball when really focusing on range. Except the momentum that's, uh, the me- momentum that's made by our upper body creating, you know, creating all that speed coming up from the one position to the two position. You know, we have all that momentum moving upwards. And now, once we get close to that set point, then our hips fire up. So now we ha- we're attaching that extra energy to it and we're, we're powering up through the ball. We're releasing on the way up. And we're getting, that's where all of our power comes from, okay? So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting way to think about it, but it's why I, why I stress sequence and, and why loading the wrist early and getting the ball to move first is so damn important. Because if that doesn't happen, right, if that's not something that's happening and if your wrist is down and you're, you're bringing the ball up further away from your body, the amount of catching up that you now have to try to, try to accomplish with your, with your arms and with your upper body in order to get back on track to that energy transfer coming up through your legs is going to be extremely difficult to do. And you actually see this often when players shoot off the dribble. One of the most common reasons players miss shooting off the dribble is because their body starts to actually come up before their hands get a chance to. And, and, and oftentimes we're taught uh, to, to push the ball out. Uh, we want to push the ball out far away from our body to get more space. In reality, that's not necess- in reality, that's not really actually as necessary as we think it is. We can, we can move a, a great amount of distance by actually keeping the ball closer to our body. And the closer we keep the ball to our body on a dribble, uh, the easier it is to pick it up and then get that ball moving first. But so often with range, with players trying to shoot from range and then players even trying to shoot off the dribble, sequence gets thrown out of whack. The wrist maybe starts down. And if, the, if we're not moving that ball up in a straight line, and this is where the dip can be. If you're not dipping correctly, it can it can be uh, more of a more of a burden than than, than helping somebody. Um, your 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 ability to transfer energy is going to be very inhibited uh, if you're not moving that ball in a straight line. So what I mean by moving the ball in a straight line is that's why we like to say locked wrist, locked and loaded wrist, and then we're literally just moving that ball. Up as close as our body as po- close to our body as possible, keeping our wrist locked into that power position throughout, so that the ball travels more in a straight line. Right? That's all we're trying to do because we're, we're trying to create something that's able to be repeated, and we're trying to create something that is able to really generate that power that that we're looking for. So, uh, man, I, I guess it's it's a lot of words. It's a lot of words, but I think we often approach it wrong. We think that we have to put all this extra terminology in there when we, we already possess the ability to do it. Uh, I just think that we often don't know how to attach it yet. We don't know how to uh, streamline that stuff yet. So that's why I've been doing my best to, to show different scenarios with me uh, shooting the ball from, I mean, to be honest with you, just a couple of steps in from half court uh, and just catching and just driving that ball up through the shot line without, without dipping it. Because I don't think a dip is necessary in, in terms of being of, of having uh, having to be used to gain power. If we can learn to move that ball faster with our upper body and let our legs attach, 
I think the range ultimately is, is going to become limitless in a way. I mean, obviously, it's going gonna, it's gonna to reach a, a, its breaking point at, at, at some point in time. But uh, I think that you'd be very, very surprised at what you'll be able to do and what you'll be able to teach if you're a, if you're a trainer listening to this. Uh, and, and, you know, you have to be patient with it. And I think it's one of those things that uh, for the longest time, I didn't understand this and I, I couldn't even see it. But when I did finally understand it and I understood it by doing it, it's why I think that you know, training is, is one thing and teaching, but actually doing it is also a really good thing if you're, if you're teaching anything because you get a feel for it. You, you start to understand what the player may be going through. And I think that's vitally important in, in, in not just, you know, you understanding it, but you understanding it for the person that you're eventually going to teach. So if you are going to start to try to teach some of these principles, I really encourage you to go out and, uh, and try to do it. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it's a I, I think it's a it's something that hasn't really caught on yet necessarily, but I think I think in time it will. I think Damian Lillard is amazing at it. If you watch what he does, he is the master of staying level with his hips, uh great, great balance at all times, and he just drives that ball through a shot line. And there's a there's a bunch of videos out there of him actually working on those type of sequencing drills where he's just he's just powering that ball up through the shot line. He does one where I have a video coming out on it, but he does one where it's 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 kind of literally standing at a standstill uh in a you know with the ball in a shooting position, uh you know, ball around abdomen level and then just driving up as fast as he can and shooting, you know, long distance shots. Another another drill is uh momentum type shots where you stay you, you stand posture, hips drop, chest up, chin up. And you're going to take the ball, pound the ball on the ground as hard as you can, and then use that momentum of the dribble to carry you directly into your shot. So I work with that with players a lot, and it's kind of a way of tricking them to, to get the ball moving through their shot lane faster. It's really funny, actually, to, to do that with some people. And uh, if my man Dev Stills listened to this, uh, I had him do that because he was talking about struggle with range, and, and he felt the difference immediately. Uh, it's just another trainer that has been... Um, that has been in the gym with me here, here and there, but it, it's very, it's a very interesting drill in terms of getting uh, players to really feel that ball accelerating through the shot line. And a lot of times they have no idea what they're doing, but the, the accept, you having that hard dribble and having it to come up through the shot line actually, you know, tricks them into doing the right thing many times. So it's a, it's another good one. But I, uh, you know, I hope to uh, continue to to put out some things that that maybe help people understand this a little better. I know verbally. It may be a little a little bit difficult to understand, but uh, I, I do think there's a lot of misinformation out there, and that's not a knock to anybody. I think everybody's always doing the best they can, but I do think there's some misinformation out there about, about actually building range. We want to be able to do things in a way that's very repeatable, and the way we make things more repeatable is by simplifying them and by just making things, uh, making things easier at the end of the day. And the more movement we're putting into shots, more variance, sweep and sway, dip, da-da-da-da, uh, the more we have a chance of things going wrong, we want to not be—we want to not have to be perfect every time we shoot. If we because if we have to be perfect every time, you know you're going to drive yourself crazy. You're going to have amazing, amazing days shooting the basketball, but then you're going to have some days that are probably uh, a little more difficult than others. It's why I think Ray Allen is an amazing shooter, uh, one of the best shooters that ever did it. But his uh, but his approach to shooting the basketball probably was not actually the most efficient way of doing so. And some people are going to say I'm crazy for saying that. But I think, I honestly think that because of how he shot, his work ethic and his maniacal way of doing things was absolutely necessary because of how perfect he had to be. 
and it speaks to how much of a perfectionist he was. But um, I don't think that's necessarily the benchmark when trying to teach shooting uh, to, to, to look at him and say, hey, that's how he did it. That's how you should do it. Because he probably had to go through a lot more things to get to the point uh, of where he was at and becoming one of the greatest shooters of all time. So, uh, I mean, with that, I think, it's a, I think it's a great segue into something that I've been seeing often, uh, which is people constantly using NBA players as the comparison to, um, to prove a point or to teach. And while it's an amazing thing to do and there's some players that do uh, awesome awesome things and it's the play you know they're they're guys at the very top of the game so obviously they're doing things you know that that are that are working for them it's tough to point to those all players as examples of the right way to do things and i say that because just like ray allen made like in my eyes did not possess the uh you know the the most efficient way of shooting Seeing his success, people may automatically think that. So they may try to uh, replicate it, which makes sense. You see somebody doing something incredible, you try to replicate it. The problem is there's a lot of things like going on with his shot that if you don't understand shooting, it's going to be really hard for you to replicate and you'd start to understand as well. So it's important to understand that just because a player is at the highest level does not mean that the way that they're doing things necessarily will transfer to the way that you teach them. Because they have gotten to that level with an insane work ethic, right? With probably a great amount of people around them helping them for the most part. And them learning how to overcome their flaws and, and master what works for them. So I say this because I, I recently posted something uh, regarding the guide hand because there's been a lot of talk about guide hand positioning and how, you know, you know, there's so many shooters that don't put the guide hand on the side of the ball. And because all these shooters in the NBA don't do that, you shouldn't do it either. But when you're tasked with teaching, when you have a kid in front of you that's trying to comprehend shooting, like I just laid out trying to extend range to you, which is probably, I probably said some things that are just completely foreign to a lot of people. The guide hand can be foreign to a young player and why it's there and what we're, what we're trying to accomplish. If I just tell a kid that I'm in front of, and he, I say, hey, you can do whatever you want with the guide hand. And he says, well, why is that? And I say, well, um, you know, Kyle Korver puts it on top. Uh, so if Kyle Korver puts it more on top of the ball, you can put it on top of the ball. So that's, how, that's it, end of, end of conversation. It won't work. It, it just won't work. The guide hand is ultimately there to help balance the ball throughout the entirety of the shot right up until, right up until release, right? So if we're trying to both... I uh, have a player understand that along with understand that, hey, we're looking for a one motion or a, a one handed shot. Putting the guide hand on the side of the ball makes a lot of sense visually for them understanding that the guide hand is just going to is just going to come off and we're just going to shoot a one hand shot. Putting the guide hand on top of the ball or behind the ball. We're looking at different problems. You're putting the ball, guide hand on top of the ball. You may have release issues of the ball, the hand coming off the ball. You put the guide hand on the back of the ball. Now we're more subject to, to possibly getting our shooting hand out of place and maybe shooting the ball with two hands rather than one, right? So a, as a teacher, I'm not responsible for just pointing to examples of guys doing it at the highest level and saying, hey, yeah, sure, do it that way. I'm responsible for getting them to understand what it actually means to have your guide hand in a proper position. So early on, I'm going to stress the position of a guide hand being very traditional, 
on the side of the basketball so that our shooting hand could get underneath and in the middle of the basketball, and boom, we're on our way to shooting a one-handed shot. We're not putting any undue stress on our off, on our off shoulder or our shooting shoulder. Our guide hand's where it needs to be. It can rotate up as soon as our shooting shoulder wake, uh, rotates up. Everything's working together in unison. Ball moves in straight line. Bada bing, bada boom, right? That's what I'm after to teach. That's what I'm after to get a player to understand. Now, if a player comes to me and is making a bunch of shots that way, but all of a sudden, maybe the guide hand starts creeping. We all develop these you know, little tendencies. Me, for example, my guide hand moves forward like crazy. Really moves forward when I shoot. But it's one of those things that the better shooter you become, the more variance you're going to be allowed in terms of what you do. You're going to find different things that work for you. But that's all coming as a result of all the work that you put in, probably understanding how to do it the right way or, or just an understanding of how to shoot the ball and get consistent results. So I can go out right now and shoot the, shoot the ball with my guide hand in all different places. I'm going to make the same amount of shots because I now understand the timing of how things work, right? It's not going to throw me off to the point where I, I'm not making shots. But I did an extreme amount of work to get to that point where I can now play, play around with maybe what's comfortable, what's not comfortable, what works for me, all that kind of stuff. But just seeing a finished product can be dangerous when teaching younger kids or even, even, even older kids, older players, because you don't know how that product ended up where it was. You're just seeing the end result and thinking, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Do that. You could do that because that person does it. That's just not how things work. That not, that's, that, that's not how things work at the end of the day. And it's, it's, it's important to, to build that foundation of understanding for players early on because if if you're able to do that it's going to allow them a lot more freedom down the line and if they change things up down the line so be it but at least you instilled that foundation early on that allows them or allowed them to to become the shooter that they that they that they may become uh, at some point in time so uh, that's that's my thoughts on that and uh and then i guess just a one more thing in, in kind of relation to that is uh Using pictures to justify um, justify a point. So I definitely have done this before. I've, I've definitely used pictures to show um, a cert, certain things that I wanted to prove. You know, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of doing both of these things. You know, and but I'm, I'm trying to get away from it more. I'm trying to. I'm trying not to use that as as my as my crutch as much as now just use my, my overall knowledge of now working with players more uh, rather than using uh, the players that I've never even been in a room with. But uh, you, you, you have to be careful with pictures because there's so much information out there now that if you form a hypothesis and want it to work bad enough, you're going to find something to support it. And you can find it in pictures, 100%. If you want to say... You know, no shooter. I, I I don't I don't know how to give an example, but you can, you can find enough people in scenarios where that would support some crazy hypothesis that says all all shots come off the ring finger, all shots come off your uh, your ring finger, and common knowledge says no way. But I guarantee you could Google search enough pictures, and you could probably find the ball coming off even good shooters' ring fingers at points and times where you can be like, here it is, told you, boom, there it is. So you have to be extremely careful. That when you're trying to make your point, 
that you're just using pictures to do it because pictures alone do not always tell the full story. Not all the time. I remember for the longest time, I, I, I played for, play for Herb McGee. I, I mentioned this earlier, but uh, Coach McGee, Hall of Fame basketball shooting coach, uh, would work his camps. Uh, and I remember at, at his camps, he would always ask, what is the last finger to touch the ball? And his answer was always the index finger. And the way that he would back up that claim was with uh, Ray Allen shooting a jump shot and the ball coming off his index finger last. And I remember seeing that, and from that point forward, my mind was made up that the index finger is the last finger to touch the ball. When in all reality, the index finger may be in the middle of our hand when we're shooting a basketball, depending on our grip, depending on equal coverage of our hand. That's a whole different story. But that does not necessarily mean that the index finger is always going to be the last finger to touch the ball. I always tell players, if it's your index finger or if it's your middle finger that touches the ball last, I think you're going to be in okay shape. You know what I mean? As long as one of those two fingers is pushing through the middle of the basketball and touching that basketball last, chances are you're going to be shooting the ball relatively straight. That's why I, I can't make a definitive, hey, your index finger has to be the last or your middle finger has to be the last because I can actually find picture evidence to support both. You know, so there's not, there's not a right or wrong answer there. It's more so, hey, is it coming off one of those two fingers? If so, I think you're going to be okay at the end of the day. That's my personal opinion. I've shot thousands and thousands and thousands of jump shots, and I could not tell you which finger the ball of those two fingers the ball is consistently comes off of. I can't, and I have a pretty good feel of what's going on. So be careful always using pictures to support whatever hypothesis that you're drawing or, or, new, uh, or new idea because uh, pictures don't always don't – always, uh, <coughs> sorry, don't always uh, tell the full picture. Talking a lot. Need a drink of water. So that's a, I guess that, that kind of that kind of falls in line with the with the whole thing about you know to using NBA players as your model uh, to to prove a point. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode today, man. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think this was this was more shooting oriented. And, uh, you know, a lot of things on my mind today regarding some some of the stuff. And I figured it, it would just be this way when I get inspired to do the podcast. A lot of times it will come through questions that you guys have. So if anybody has any ideas for things that I should talk about or they'd want to know or they want to dive deeper into, please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out to me because I would love to hear your ideas. I would love to, to, to piggyback, piggyback after all. Uh, no edits. No edits. I would love to piggyback off of any of that stuff. So, um, you know, with that being said, man, it is Sunday evening, which means uh, it's almost Monday. And if you know me, you know Monday is my absolute favorite. Mo- <laughs> favorite. I mean, it, it's the best day of the week, man. It's the absolute best day of the week. I see Mondays as a time for a fresh new start and a way to get ahead of all the people that are saying, man, it's Monday. I can't. I don't want to go to work. I don't. Man, forget that. Forget that. We're only here for so long. Take advantage of your Mondays. If you can reframe how you view your Mondays, you can reframe your entire week. Get off to a good start. Do something first thing every Monday morning that you love to do. Every Monday morning, I have to hit the gym. I got to go lift weights. Why? One, I'm handsome. I'm extremely handsome. We know that. But two, man, if you get that body moving early, the body moves, the mind moves. It's just, it's just the way it is. There's science that backs that kind of stuff up. So get moving. Reframe your Mondays. Look at Mondays in a different light. Don't dread them. Look forward to them. 
Your mindset is everything. Everything. And no matter what you want to do. You want to be the best shooter in the world, you have to go into every day thinking you're going to be the best shooter in the world. And you can't look at a day, like a Monday, thinking that it's a wash because everybody else is dragging. It's not the way it works. It's not the way you become the best. You only become the best by viewing things in a positive light as much as you can. Right? I believe it's Albert Einstein who said the biggest decision we make is whether we live in a friendly or a hostile universe. You have a choice to how you're going to view things. Right? You have a choice every single day, especially on Mondays. So I definitely was—I definitely did not used to be a Monday person until I realized that I need Monday. Monday, <laughs> Monday is just Monday is just another part of uh, something that comes along every week that's going to help me get to the uh, to to my goal. And I've really found that it's crazy. If you if you would ask people about all the jobs that I've been to, I guarantee one of the first things they would say is, "Yo, he's crazy. He loves Mondays," and I'm glad that. I start to instill that where, wherever I go. So um, I'm going to release this hopefully tonight. and uh, But hopefully you get a chance to listen to it on Monday, the greatest day of the week. And, uh, and that's it, man. I'm signing off for episode two. Last thing I want to say, anybody that's listening, my Keep Shooting subscription has been, has been growing. And it's been amazing, man, connecting with people all over the place in different countries. And I'm really committed. I, I, I have this vision of creating the biggest community of of people just wanting to learn shooting as much as possible and if that branches off to them teaching so be it man i just want to get it out there and um go to my website cmikedunn.com check it out i i really highly encourage anybody if you're a coach a player a parent that just wants to learn uh wants to help their kid wants to wants to help themselves whatever have you uh, i I'm, I'm there to help it's me answering every single question and providing uh, all the video, everything needed to support whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. So uh, I hope you go. I hope I see you there soon. Thank you for listening to episode two. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts now, which is crazy. That's cool to me. I don't know if that just happens, but we're on there. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, on any podcast, whatever, please rate, review, whatever whatever you got to do to support. I would really, really appreciate it. So have a great day. Have a great week. Keep doing what you got to do. Uh, as always, it's always grind season. So have that goal in mind and just keep keep pushing forward, guys. I appreciate you guys. End of episode two. I'll see you in episode three. I'm out of here.